dystopian fiction has been moved to current affairs. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to this episode of Dystopian Fiction Has Been Moved to Current Affairs. I'm here with my co-host Claire, and I'm Marsha, and this episode we'll be talking about Children of Men, both the book and the movie. So, Claire, do you want to do a bit of a summary of both? Thank you, Marsha. I could try and do that. Uh, For people who have seen the film, we were just talking about this, Mm. the book is really different to the extent that we were sort of saying you know, <laughs> is, it, is it an adaptation really or is it just sort of taking the the premise and kind of rolling in a different direction but there are i suppose strong similarities the book by pd james called the children of men came out in 1993 and it follows the story of um, a man called theo um an academic living in oxford um who's cousin significantly is at this point the warden of england and the reason Mm. that england has come or in fact the whole of the uk has come under this kind of authoritarian rule is as a consequence of um an event known as omega which happened uh 25 years previously where um babies stopped being conceived and born so there is simply no new generation coming through and this is a worldwide phenomenon so it explores uh Theo's place within this world and how he kind of um, engages with the, uh, I suppose, the changes to society that have happened around him. Um, And I guess there's a bit of a character arc for him as he comes in contact with a a group of not particularly successful seditionary movement, um, one of whom turns out to be pregnant and the remainder of the story is about how he can sort of facilitate help facilitate the safe birth of this child um that's probably the bit that most people know about if they've seen the film Mm. because the film um similarly is set in a a similar world it's uh um a few years later in terms of uh, when it's set um and the uh infertility has only lasted 18 years but Basically, the the premise is the same. However, the character of Theo is a sort of failing civil servant, probably um, divorced, in need of money, drinking too much, generally rather Mm -hmm. disheveled. Um, Mm. And uh, he becomes involved with the rebels because his ex-wife is the rebel leader. And similarly, there is Mm. a young woman who is pregnant who needs to be uh, kept safe. But in that case, it's to get her out of the country um to a potential haven known as the human project so i suppose that's the rough plot of each of the each quite of a the difference <laughs> there are on there um i mean we've sort of said we're going to focus mainly on the book because we think there's a lot more depth there but we will yes uh to the film um but as long as as well as the plots being quite different from each other um mm. What did you feel were the like major differences in the kind of worlds that were created? Well, I think we we were discussing about how in the book there's the warden of England, Theo's cousin in this instance, um, who they sort of grew up together, uh, basically runs the country. And there's this idea that they constantly repeat about how Zan, that's his name, the Warden of England, um, provides uh, comfort, pleasure and security. And that's the kind of main ethos of his rule. Um, and he like sits on this basically unelected council. And I think they've been in power for about 10 years or something like that. Um, is that right? Or is it, is it I can't longer? remember. It might be longer than that. I think um, 
but they've, uh, they've been in power for a long time there's been no general election uh but it's kind of people are living in a sort of peaceful existence but almost in blissful ignorance because there's a number of with this revolutionary group the five fishes um which are a lot smaller in the book whilst i think it's a much bigger organization than the film nationwide kind of um revolutionary organization yeah in in the film it almost feels similar to like how in our first episode uh, when we talked about the last of us the sort of fireflies is this yeah, like organized exactly. yeah like military revolutionary yeah, group that, you know money and money and funding you know a bit of safe houses and things exactly in the book it's basically five people who kind of know each other who <laughs> yeah. all feel that there's something a little bit wrong uh, <laughs> Uh, one of them Just feels little. that it's really bad that the soldiers are called grenadiers because like his granddad was a grenadier and he doesn't feel that they're not <laughs> grenadiers so that's like his his sort of appropriated <laughs> oh, <laughs> so, uh, so yeah you know they're, they're basically they're not going to make any difference at all in the, no it's a bit of a futile effort field. really yeah. um but yeah no whilst in children of men it's sort of the world is a lot more I don't know, sort of broken down and it's a bit more classically, you'd say dystopian, mm-hmm. uh, a bit more po- post-apocalyptic where there's been this like breakdown of society whilst um, I think that uh, in the book, society kind of continues, but people almost become docile. They don't really care about the fact that they live in this authoritarian authoritarian society yeah. because they just get to live out their life with, you know, pleasures and safety um despite their I don't know despite kind of losing a bit of their I don't know would you say that people who would live that way have lost a bit of their humanity they're just kind of living out the rest of of their life what's being hinted at definitely um although I suppose because everything is still on the surface kind of well ordered and Mm. and things um it's almost like well people don't feel like that because you know they're they're mostly merrily living out their their days without very much thought and i think that the for me one of the things that's very powerful about the book is the fact that it doesn't assume that people will riot and so on you know after a while when no babies are born there isn't much point to anything um and you know i think they they talk about things like um laying down wine for example because uh, in the book it's set in oxford and you know, your oxford colleges mm. with their fine cellars <laughs> and those sorts of things um it's no longer you know there's no longer any point in laying down wine for more than the sort of foreseeable remaining um so given the youngest people in society at this point are sort of you know 25 there might be 50 years or so in which some people will be drinking it maybe a little bit longer because we're told that, you know, health is good, life is long. It's a bit mm. of a commentary on sort of the focus of medicine to kind of keep everybody going. Um, mm. But um, actually, I think, you know, this idea that people would lose any sense of kind of morality towards others in some ways because, well, what's the point? What's the point of trying to make the world better when there will be no world from a human perspective? Yeah very yeah. sick and for me that seems actually you know in a way that the, the the five fishes with their list of um things that they want to to change which are fairly disparate and certainly things that most people evidently don't care about mm. feels a lot more kind of realistic that there would be a few kind of earnest people who mm-hmm. um, 
would say, you know, no, there are values that that matter more. We have to try and and those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Um, unlike the film where you know there's been a sort of bombing campaign and uh, and things like that, the violence is is very much in pockets in the book. Um, yes, with Zan as warden of England, basically saying, well, we can't keep everywhere safe, so we'll make sure that towns and cities remain safe and that they remain viable we'll focus the energy and the infrastructure on those places and we'll move people in so that everyone can continue to yeah and it's like more of a concentrated community but yeah i don't know it is it's interesting i mean going a bit back um to what were you saying like as as people age they all they care about is um sort of living their lives out Mm. um in peace but i think there was is this a general, a general comment wow crazy um <laughs> but i think there's also a bit that uh in the book um zan and theo talk about how obviously as time goes on the human life span extends um uh i think here's the quote um, almost the whole of modern medical research is dedicated to improving health in old age and extending the human lifespan and we get more senility not less extending it for what we give them drugs to improve short-term memory drugs to raise mood drugs to increase appetite they don't need anything to make them sleep that's all they do what i wonder goes on in those senile minds during those long periods of hard consciousness memories i suppose prayers um which is yeah i mean i, I mean this is this is interesting i mean we'll talk about in the book there's this um concept of a quietus is that how you say it quietus i'm saying quietus because that's quietus. what they said on the audio book that i listened uh, to Therefore, okay. must be right but i don't think it's <laughs> quietus yeah which i maybe we'll dig into a bit more later but um it's where sort of the these elderly people volunteer themselves to a suicide um basically in simple terms um but yeah it's uh, even despite being provided all of their needs because i think there's a lot of discussion about how because there is because there are no future generations mm. um people don't care of making a better future for themselves or for mm. their future children and that's also in the movie um which we thought was really funny that uh, Zan no longer exists as the ward of England. And instead, Theo has a cousin called Nigel, which is a bit of a downgrade. It you is, know. It <laughs> is. Becoming a Nigel. Becoming, Becoming a, Nigel. a rich guy who sits in your arc of art <laughs> uh, with Michelangelo's David. Mm. Uh, and Exactly. <laughs> I mean, yeah. this is it. So he he's just this... This this man who's was he like assigned to go collect all of these big sort it's of not quite clear. They say something like does he have those funds his art arc or something? <laughs> Basically, uh, yeah, he's just this guy that like lives in his house with his is does he live with his wife, I think, still? Or is, does she pass away? Don't I can't remember. See wife. We see like a, a grown up kid, like I guess an Omega kid, um, oh. who's sort of plugged into uh like a gaming thing and has to take pills, none of which is ever explained. Uh, no. Um, <laughs> oh, um, but yeah, poor old Nigel. Yeah, Nigel. Yeah. No, poor old Nigel. Minor character by comparison with with Zan. Nigel has collected all of this art, and I think Theo asks him what the point of it all is if no one's going to be able to 
basically be witness to all of these creations if there are no future generations to see it and he just says I'd rather not think about it um which is again sort of going back to living in this blissful ignorance whilst mm-hmm. enjoying the pleasures that surround you that are provided to you um which I yeah you know that I think is a bit of a correlating feature within the book and the film yeah um, I think that that's I think that that's right and um, there is a degree of you know, out of sight, out of mind. So, I mean, one of the mm. things that we we know that they have done in order to maintain peace, and I think again, this is a really practical thing. Which, so, by and large, you've got very few people, um, presumably under the age of thirty. If we imagine that mm-hmm. things started to tail off rather than all sort of just stopping in a day, but um, you know, they. So, your youngest people are twenty five, mm-hmm. um, and. So you've got this, and you've got this very, you know, this aging population, as you were saying about this kind of keeping people going. Then things like policing, on the one hand, probably you've not got the elderly going around and committing, you know, many violent crimes (laughs) with walking sticks and so on. Um, uh, You know, shout out to our many boomer listeners. We (laughs) believe in you. (laughs) Um, uh, No, but the you can see that from a point of view but there's also mm. this idea i think that um what would be the the sort of thing this this decrease in in crime may have happened naturally but you also can't police it because you haven't got enough younger healthy mm. people to to fill all the jobs that require those um yes. so they create a penal colony mm-hmm. uh, um it's interesting i think you know we talk about uh, it talks about in years and years the creation of of camps and so on that's mm-hmm. something we see in the children of men film but actually the penal colony idea is obviously one where they draw from history they sort of say you know we used to pack all our convicts off to australia or whatever mm. it's just like doing that but then we learn that on the isle of man where all of these people are kept there's no governance they haven't got uh, people policing there um and unlike i suppose you know the colonies that were set up in say australia um which were sort of overseen you know they we're told that they're given enough seed that they can start you know planting yeah. uh, crops and that sort of thing but then we're told well these criminals are principally from urban communities they don't know how to to yeah. grow crops and so on what they do know how to do is to become increasingly violent um and and it it descends into almost a cannibalistic society Mm. doesn't it because yeah there's strong preying on the wheat yeah exactly um Um, which i think is and again theo this is so what happens is theo meets up with this these fishes the five fishes and they explain what happens on this island through the story of one woman whose brother was sent there uh, for very petty crimes even I'd yeah say. exactly um because they think this is the only this is the only punishment we're told that you know uh the patients from broadmoor are there as well as people who committed so who are the patients from broadmoor because i'm not sure whether i really they, <laughs> so, they really explained so who broadmoor, those people were criminal um i suppose the criminally insane i don't know that we call them okay. that anymore, but people who are put oh, in okay. psychiatric hospitals instead of for prisons the idea is mm-hmm. that we're not able to maintain places like that and so they've been put on the okay. island so we're sort yeah, of saying right. like everybody from the existing prison population life okay. um, lifers and so on as well as as you say people who do i think what did they say it's something like you know two counts of 
burglary or one count of violent crime and he stole something from an omega who fell over when he stole it yes um so yeah but so and i mean it's quite interesting because i i'm not sure in the book how much they talk about sort of whether there are like uh still class disparities within mm-hmm. britain i mean that's a like always sort of been a huge thing like because because are there still people who live in poverty within this mm. dystopia i'm i'm not sure because obviously people who are in have like a less privileged position mm-hmm. especially financially are more inclined to steal and because you know it's sort of a, a thing of survival and you know how how is that I don't know how is whether whether that I'm not sure that's really discussed in the book or not um and that's quite a big thing in British it culture is, especially absolutely. which I, mean, I think is an interesting thing to have kind of omitted as a discussion yeah. point because there's a lot of things that are talked about within this well my um partner sent me a blog post written by mark fisher in 2007 when he went to go and see the movie and he describes he describes children of men as um basically it, it's different to we, we were saying how it's different to most dystopias because it's almost like um because it isn't that sort of complete collapse of society but it is a catastrophe that someone's living through i mean the quote is uh firstly the film is dominated by the sense that the damage has been done the catastrophe is neither waiting uh waiting down the road nor has it already happened rather sh- rather it is being lived through there is no punctual moment of disaster the world doesn't end with a bang it winks out unravels gradually falls apart um i yeah i think it's a really w- good way to describe what makes i was just specifically thinking- interesting as you read that about this question about class because i suppose one of the things mm. that happens is that on the one hand the population shrinks dramatically and um, mm. the sort of numbers are given um you know of of the um you know population that's been waning for 25 years so it's a significant number of uh reduction of mouths to feed as it were mm. you would think a very significant reduction in um people to do jobs although of course a whole swathe of jobs no longer exist schools theo himself as a university lecturer is now adult education because there's no undergraduates coming through um so the sort of loss of loss of jobs and things like that but also we learn i think that because they're bringing sojourners in um Mm -hmm. So for people who haven't read the book, the Sojourners are basically the Omega generation, the youngest generation from other countries. Because Britain is coping better, they choose to spend their lives essentially enslaved because they're not paid. They're simply housed and allowed to house and fed and allowed to work in this country. And they aren't granted citizenship. They're simply repatriated when they turn 60 or if they're no longer able to work. So, you know, this idea that essentially in order to escape from their own countries for at least part of their their lives, they they come and work in Britain because Britain is a more functional society. Mm -hmm. And this is all done by a quota system and things like that. Mm -hmm. Assuming that we've therefore got in Britain more younger people because we've got these imported younger people to do our dirty work, essentially. Mm-hmm. there's probably actually a certain amount of 
you know, money floating around because overall, as a society, economically, yes, we have still got people working. Yes, we have still got kind of society functioning. Um, you might actually assume that because of the things that Zan does to make sure that everything kind of keeps going and ticks over, people are generally better off. Although some of those things we know about are, um, for example, the giving of pensions to those who are left behind um, following a quietus. So mm -hmm. if your um, dear grandmother decides <laughs> to be okay with killing herself, then you mm. will get... Was there also a bit at the beginning of the book where there were a number of people that did kill themselves as a result of Omega? In yeah. Um, yeah. Where it was almost the opposite of where the family members, to stop this from happening, family members would be yeah. fined yeah in the occasion right. that you know their relatives yeah. killed themselves which yeah. like you know again it's sort of interesting to see that progression of mm -hmm. like i don't know yeah i it's <laughs> I, don't, I don't even know how, how would you feel about such a policy that's so i suppose that what gets raised here is well actually it, it takes us back to something you were saying earlier you know we've got on the one hand a sort of medical science we're told is basically mm -hmm. kind of you know eradicated alzheimer's things like that so greater quality of life in in later life but also this description of people basically drugged left right and center so that they can mm -hmm. live half asleep yes um, and so on and then on the other hand we've got this idea that actually there's encouragement for people to to end their lives because it will benefit their families mm -hmm. which of course is you know one of the principal arguments against legalizing assisted suicide because mm. of this idea that even without a pension involved family members might pressure their elderly or the elderly might feel yeah. they're a burden and therefore they'll seek assisted suicide yeah. um but obviously the you know children of men has gone beyond that beyond just an acceptability to assisted suicide but actually kind of treating it like a um something that will benefit your your family because they'll get a pension yeah and it's like you know government assisted is you mm. know i i think um one of the council members so when Athea goes to the council to speak to san about the demands of the fishes um they sort of he brings up the quietus mm. um and they just say how it was a phenomenon that happened and that like could use some like government organization and that's how it all sort of and they they especially when he brings up the quietus that he saw himself mm. um he drives out to witness one of them where he sees his old mentors his old sort of professor's wife be killed against her will um which and then so now there's just so many layers because obviously we were saying um i don't know I, we've already mentioned how uh jasper basically kills his wife did we already say that no i think that, that no, was we haven't we've three, done discussion recording okay yes <laughs> okay let's, explain let's to people. um so <laughs> <laughs> okay so before um before theo goes to um goes to see the council and goes to speak to zan um about the demands of the five fishes he goes to see a quietus a quietus um where does it happen do we know um it's near me it's southwold oh uh, southwold <laughs> yes. um which she just 
it's a bit of an ordeal because he's he he watches as these like rows of i think it was only women as well Yes, they um seem to be done by gender. Um, the same to be done done by gender um i don't know I, I, I do you know we'll come back to it but do you think there's much of like a gendered narrative as well in the story here because i think there's especially mentions about how zan doesn't have any women within his like general sphere other than on the council and so Theo discusses the concept of whether that's because you know, to completely avoid any uh accusations of yeah like, an affair but on one like that's on that's on one hand but on the other hand to have a sort of patriarchal system mm. of just like masculine authority um that's like unemotional again they're sort of perpetuating I mean I mean the book was written in the in you know the 90s, yeah, in the 90s, so it's like yeah. it's pretty. I mean, it's pretty not see not see like anything. No, no. <laughs> I mean, I, I think one of the things that I think interested me with respect to kind of the the gender and sexuality part of it um, is the well, probably two things. So, first, you're right. We've got Zan kind of removed from relationship basically at all we're not told about any relationship that that he has had um he's not um married although i think he does allude to marrying julian before he gets shot at the end of the book um so he's completely sort of it's not quite narcissism but like he needs nothing beyond himself is kind of what's implied including theo who he's you know they never touched one another we're told in childhood mm. Um, but I also think that Zan has had an unhealthy um, experience from his own parents because he said that his parents hated each other. But then he sort of says, well, actually, it was because his father was gay and mm -hmm. his mother married for the money and the title. Um, so uh, not realizing that was all she was going to get. And his father had died in a car crash with his boyfriend and mm -hmm. um, so that you know Zan's got a bit of a mixed up kind of background with respect to that plus also just a really you know not a normal sort of a, a rather sort of sociopathic relationship with with people oh, so yeah. there's that and then I think there's also the impact when you know when so much emphasis is placed on kind of reproduction mm -hmm. in society I think it probably starts to play havoc with anything other than sort of a simplification into very binary gender mm -hmm. um, that's associated you know that completely associates gender with um uh with i suppose reproductive organs because it's not reproductive ability because we know that mm. um, you know male sperm has become infertile um mm. But of course, with everybody being sort of you know semen tested and um uh with um I suppose they're trying to make sure that they know who the healthy women are who'd be able to conceive and things like that. It rather it's rather reductionist to to the bodily in terms of the way that society would see these things. Mm -hmm. So there's also, I think, a, a um a bit of a reference to the idea that now that people can't have children, mm -hmm. um, first of all, we're told they're not having sex anymore. Mm. actually which i think is really interesting and it, you know it yes. on this, this idea that it was sort of thought that everybody would go and have loads of sex but actually yes i mean you know like, considering the fact there was no more sort of yeah almost like knowing 
that there can like there can never be a conception from it has put people off the whole thing completely and they also mentioned that more people were having um same gender relationships um mm -hmm. i think it might even mention marriages oh yeah marriage yeah, yeah which of course you know, 93 well. is sort of saying that i mean it, it's, it's a little bit uncomfortable if we dig into it if we start saying you know well now that marriage isn't about conceiving then we'll mm. we'll okay um gay marriage but i think that actually it's sort of saying you know it's this reflection on sort of societal yeah the old societal constraints norms are fading away um yeah yeah and i guess there's also sort of like uh, there's a lot of conversations about love um and especially how um how theo feels towards his ex-wife and that's one of the interesting differences isn't it with the film because we're sort of told like in the film you know she kisses him on the lips she wants you know she hasn't seen him for 20 years or whatever but she's still um uh kind of implies that the relationship will still go somewhere there's still chemistry yeah. between them but yeah, that's completely, yeah. completely different from the the book i mean in the film sort of theo says you know how could you get over uh the death of our child and just move on and things like that very very different characterization from yes. the book where theo is just largely a very self-absorbed self-centered character that's his arc i think mm -hmm. coming out of that self-centered yeah i mean it's i think it's even he he starts out the book sort of writing this very like um he starts out in the book writing a memoir of sorts of his own which is very almost self-indulgent in his sadness and his loneliness and then towards the end he decides that he doesn't need to write it anymore because he's on sort of some bigger mission to to bring about a new hope of a, a human race basically um yeah yeah i which i think it is a very powerful arc i mean i don't think we even spoke about um how in the book theo kills his own child um mm. that, which is a very is a really important one i mean this might lead us on generally to kind of the attitude to children as well because this is part yes. of theo's identity so in both mm. the book and the film he has had a child also things mm -hmm. with gender because there's something rather odd going on there so in the film he has had a son called dylan mm -hmm who died in a flu ep epidemic. Yes. And in the book, he had a daughter called, it's going to say Matilda, but that might be the cat. <laughs> Can you remember the name <laughs> of the child? Yeah, um, no, Natalie was Natalie the name. Natalie is the child, Matilda is the cat. <laughs> yeah, because well, there was a bit in the book about the cat. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he ran her over with his car when he was when she was Oof. 15 months old. And it's just, oh, God. it's an accident. It, but it obviously, you know, although he seems to have stayed with his wife up until about a year previously when she's left him for a younger man with whom she can have a nice home and some cats. Um, mm. And in fact, she's taken their cat. I think Matilda, the cat, is, uh, um, is his cat as well, isn't it? So that's why he's invited to the sort of christening party or whatever it is that they hold for um for the cat um so the sort of idea about custody battles has moved from children to pets um so he but yeah i mean to go back to your point he has this relationship with children that is very bittersweet because he feels like he never felt as bad as he should about losing a child because he didn't really like having a child because he felt jealous of his child because his child meant that he'd lost even more of the wife who he didn't love in the first place um mm -hmm. or maybe would he say something like um 
he'd sort of um, made himself have the feelings that he thought were were love. So he is very similarly dysfunctional to Zan in some ways. Yeah, yeah. He, I, I think he talks a lot about having, yeah, it, so he sort of meets his wife and both being sort of a tr- like finding it he talks a lot more about his attraction to her and that's how one, one of the last things that he still felt towards her mm. up until the death of his daughter both having killed his daughter kills their attraction and therefore this sort of yeah. love that they have which i'm yeah. saying but he's also i mean it. again he is I, I like him because he's such a real character but he is really mm. unlikable i mean you know, the things that he i surprisingly i didn't find him yeah, I didn't really find him that detestable. I'm not sure. Like, I, I guess obviously on the surface level, with you know, sort of going through his character points, but I just, I maybe he he's does like redeem himself, doesn't he? He yeah. does redeem himself, and maybe like in a sort of cynical way, kind of. I don't, I'm not sitting here being like I relate to this 50 year old man who's an alcoholic <laughs> and and <laughs> killed his daughter, but you know, I don't know. I, I think yeah, him being realistic is kind of what makes his dislikability like redeemable as sort of like yeah. okay there's like bits you know and not you know not everyone's a perfect saint of a human no. being and exactly. i think that's i th- i don't know i like i think there are parts to his character that are just i don't know that can be quite tender i think there's I, I've, there's a bit in the book so after going back to what we we're talking about with the quietus mm, um, yeah. <laughs> completely um lost track of that conversation so yeah so he goes to witness this where he watches this like row of old women uh go to these beach huts um and specifically describes how it's this weird juxtaposition of how uh you know of of imagining young families going on holidays to the beach and the like laughter of children and now these beach huts are used as a as a almost ritualistic site for a mass suicide of these mm. women of these old elderly people but they get changed into these white robes and it's almost um we'll get onto the religious imagery in a bit but it does have that sort of like almost yeah. ethereal like well, we're told, aren't we, that yeah. people like their rituals and yes yes that um, is you know a little bit like marriage or so you know there's you know it's yeah got yeah like um yeah and he sees his old mentor's wife um in this lineup of women and she's almost he he, he feels like she's almost been drugged mm-hmm. um almost like she's not quite herself um and then when they sort of you know get into these boats and get driven out into the water um she suddenly like breaks free of this line of women and start like jumps into the sea and tries to escape and he instinctively runs towards her like sort of trying to you know push his way through the waves to reach her but um one of these state police basically hits her over the head with his gun with the barrel of his gun i think um it's quite yeah quite a gruesome sort of imagery um and i suppose if we were looking for redeeming facts about um about Theo, there is something about the way that, like, as an intellectual, which is yeah. how he sees himself, he's clearly quite removed from the ideas. Like, he's quite practical in the sense that, you know, you can't make a difference about this. But he's also, you know, one of the things, I suppose, is he's a, his, his interest is in, is in Victorian culture, Victorian yes. society, very backwards looking, and in terms of how he's, how he's kind of dedicated his professional life. Um, 
and we know that he's he was an advisor, a special advisor to his cousin until he left three years earlier. And we're sort of told yes. no one really knew why he was there. Yeah, he kind I of felt quite like learn was... why he left yeah. exactly. They well, he, I think he's quite disgusted that he just felt quite like powerless and ineffective mm. with yeah, but this, you know, uh, yeah. So his his he's sort of been part of things a bit but then has left and become quite sort of mm. apathetic and so on. But instinctively, when he sees Hilda try to mm-hmm. escape, he's he's right in there. It's actually quite again. Yeah, and that's why... Caution and yes. self. That's a very that's, attractive side of him. Yeah, which is why I think his character is quite redeemable, despite, mm. yeah, on the surface, he is this sort of very apathetic and, mm. I don't know, disinterested man i don't know but yeah when it when it comes to sort of acting he does like when he's in put in a position to like where his like sort of morals are tested like he does act like i I think what is relatable that i find in him is you know he was he was this advisor to his brother the warden of not his brother what am i talking about his cousin the warden of england and it's sort of within that role he sort of found the futility of his position and maybe that's what why he eventually I, and I, I think there's a lot of discussion about his maybe he sort of feels a bit of jealousy and towards his cousin and how he's I don't know just not lesser but yeah I think that, I mean I think that there's a fair point <laughs> we're told about their sort of childhoods where um Theo lived in because his father was a baronet he lived in the big house at Walcombe um and sorry Zan lived in the big house at Walcombe and, uh, <laughs> yes. Theo was packed off um every summer to 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 spend his summer holidays there mm-hmm. uh, so you know that sense of inferiority of turning up with the wrong clothes and you know the mm-hmm. uh, feeling poor and those kinds of things by comparison um even though he also acknowledges that academically he was more successful um and you know in other ways he's um he sort of um achieved things that that zan didn't but nobody quite sort of acknowledged those because zan had the charm and the way you know people wanted things things from him so i think there is a jealousy there i mean it's another one of those interesting contrasts with the with the film because clive owens theo in the the film is is you know he feels unsuccessful he feels like so he's somebody who again has developed apathy we're told that he you know he Mm -hmm. was part of the protest movement and then he gave it all up and now he's only coming back to it for for the money but of course eventually it's not about money he does actually act because he thinks you know it's the um the right thing to do or or whatever um possibly costing him his life because certainly he is shot at the end we don't actually quite know whether Mm. he but maybe he does um so he has that similar arc but for for theo in the book there's something i think that is more about that re-emergence of some sense of 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 that human nature that human dignity that caring for others um that he starts to to see um partly yes. he believes that he's in love with julian and that she's in love with him uh, yeah yeah, uh, which is uh, it, I I wonder why he develops these sort of feelings mm. towards her because he he kind of regards her as almost 
like sort of silly for joining this yeah. movement of people well i say movement it's four other <laughs> four other random people who yeah. just again feel something's a bit wrong with how the how, how society's being run um yeah and he and he sort of sees her, sees her efforts as futile and almost like there's we need i think we should probably go into the religious sort of mm. context of this book as well but for her she talks about how well i think so so in the book um Julian is one of um well she's not really a student I think uh Theo had her for one of his lectures uh and that's where he recognizes her and she approaches him because he is he he is the cousin of the warden of England and hopes that he will be able to pass on a message onto him about how these people feel about the society that they live in um but you know she has um she has this this other husband Rolf who um I don't know I, I think there's do you think there's like a bit of a parallel between Rolf and sort of Theo's character they like they almost compete yeah the, they really the clash that, yeah mm -hmm. they clash loads um and like Theo criticizes Rolf for not necessarily wanting a, a change in the way that um you know how society's run but basically is just after zan's power and how ultimately he's not really interested in bringing about any changes he's just power hungry the same way that zan is yeah i think one of the things that you know rolf's character does is that um so for for listeners who are not familiar with the details of the book julian is married to rolf rolf is an engineer yes. um and he believes that he is the father of the baby and the this baby. would put him into a position of um great significance he thinks that he can take over as warden you know if he's got fertile sperm and he's the only man and uh, known in the world then of course you know he's able to do this however um there is another man in the group called luke who mm -hmm. is um a a priest um and uh, a priest in the in the church of england but without a parish um uh, sort of a remnant of an old guard of of um of the church of england mm -hmm. and he uh, is in fact we find out the father of the child uh, yes. julian and he um have a sort of close sort of relationship in in their their worship and their faith but then it's become a sexual relationship mm -hmm. um which cause, you know, causes her all sorts of problems in terms of her attitude to sort of um, sinfulness and what they did and the fact that she didn't love him. But ultimately, Luke is, is killed and only then does Rolf find out that he's um, not the baby's father. Um, so the actual father is is dead. So that's sort of, you know, shifts the balance of, of power and Rolf mm -hmm. knows he's not the father, so he knows that he doesn't have the significance and mm -hmm. then he betrays the group. But I think that you're you're right in a way that there is something about Rolf as kind of quite like open about his desire for for power. For power, yeah. yeah. Um, well, this is kind of what I was talking about was like Rolf, like Theo criticizes um, Julian for well, he sort of assumes that like Rolf's influence over her is what her reason is for you know attempting to make a change and attempting to create sort of a mini revolution um but she corrects him and says that she feels the need to do this because of her sort of religion and her faith mm. and that's 
because what God is telling her to do. Um, Which he thinks is, he, which he thinks is pretty silly, I guess, but. Yeah, well, um, I think he has, he has this view that you don't need religion to have a moral mm, purpose. Um, It's interesting because of course they, they meet at College Evensong. Mm. and uh he's there because of the sort of the the music the kind of cultural heritage mm. things like that everything that speaks to this man who kind of you know is quite traditional and and these kinds of things um whereas he's not there for for the religion he's you know he he lost any religion that you know was put into him as a child or whatever and he's just interested in kind of the 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 beauty and culture of it um but of course for her it's something that that matters and i think it's interesting that the book doesn't sort of say that this is you know anything to do with her religion but what it does say is there are various different types of religion and that i suppose the the christianity that she demonstrates is the one that is about trying to do something that she believes is the right thing for humanity. Right thing. Yeah. Um, I mean, you were you were talking to me about uh, about the the various um, religious movements that that crop yeah. up in the book, uh, which we yes. Were I mean, so I think there's an overall to go again with this sort of idea in the in the book about how people want to live out the rest of their lives in comfort, pleasure, and security. I think um, this also kind of bleeds over into religious movements and how um there's this sort of um there's this character Rosie she's she's just just mentioned as this like preacher and she says like like all religious evangelists she realizes that there are there is little satisfaction in the contemplation of heaven for oneself if one cannot simultaneously contemplate the horrors of hell for others but, the, but hell as described by Rosie is less a place of torment than the equivalent of an ill-conducted and uncomfortable fourth-rate hotel where incompatible guests are forced to endure each other's company for eternity and do their own washing up with inadequate facilities, although presumably with no lack of boiling water. This sort of description of hell, just to interject, kind of reminds me, I don't know if uh, you've seen The Good Place. Um, yeah, yeah. But it has the kind of same idea of like hell being a place of slight inconveniences yeah. and annoyances is just hilarious yeah. um she's equally specific about the joys of heaven in my father's house are many mansions and rosie assures her adherents that there will be mansions to suit all tastes and all degrees of virtue the highest pinnacle of bliss being ser- reserved for the chosen few but everyone who heeds rosie's call to love will find an agreeable place an eternal costa del sol li- liberally supplied with food drink sun and sexual pleasure evil has no place in rosie's philosophy the worst accusation is that people are fallen into error because they have not understood the law of love the answer to pain it's an anesthetic or an aspirin to loneliness the assurance of god's personal concern to bereavement the certainty of reunion no man is called to practice inordinate self-denial since god being love desires only that his children shall be happy and then the next sentence says, emphasis is placed on pampering and gratification of this temporal body. And Rosie is not above giving a few beauty hints during her sermons, which is funny. But um, yeah, I, it's what do you think of this sort of movement towards, again, just like a constant self-pleasure? I think that there's definitely something here about this idea that um, certain types of, of religion um spring up perhaps to 
um to fulfill a particular kind of desire or need that that people have at any one time and i suppose that's that's very counter to the sort of religious practice of um luke and julian which is very much just based in the sort of the patterns of prayer and the sort of traditions of the church and the old prayer book and things like that um but this kind of you know this sort of take on sort of the evangelical preacher and um kind of modern ministry and um the way in which you can shift doctrine to to kind of fit new circumstances um if people are searching for for something some meaning and they feel that they've lost it in um the normal world as they knew it they can't put it into their children or anything like that then you can completely understand that you know a powerful kind of charismatic preacher springs up into to that hole um although we also see other types of um religion like people in uh undertaking self-flagellation for example like real kind of punishment of of themselves this comes up in the the um uh the film as well i can't remember exactly what it is but, uh, jasper and um uh, and theo are comparing um oh yes repenters and renouncers and like one of them's the ones that like hit themselves and the other one's the ones that go down <laughs> their knees for months or whatever and um you know sort of these different things that people feel that um they don't on the one hand they some people feel that this is a divine punishment and it's they find religion that yes. way and then there's other ones where people are like don't really don't want it to be a divine punishment and so they need to find an adaptation of their religion to fit mm-hmm. with what, what rosie's doing there um mm-hmm. yeah uh and i think there's also i think with the sort of i idea of one of one of one of the ideas discussed of people trying to fit this event you know omega into their idea of religion is um i think that the book discusses the concept of how um you know god's descent on like the world sort mm-hmm. of um armageddon maybe is mm-hmm. like more of it's now more of a slower thing where he yeah. i think it describes the intake of people into heaven is this oh, more yes. of a slower manageable <laughs> rate yeah. um and especially with that and therefore the imagery of the of the quietus with these people mm. in like white robes is almost yeah. kind of like angelic um mm. and yeah i don't know so there's it's... also that bit that we were um talking about with regard to how science has changed because the yes. idea of science was a quasi oh, yeah. religion as in yes. that, you know yeah, yeah. Um, were, were not religious might turn to in a similar way like it has yeah. all the answers but yeah, now yeah. exactly um, Do you remember that um, quote that you were yes i've got it here um so the book says um western science has been our god in the variety of its power it has preserved comforted healed warmed fed and entertained us and we have felt free to criticize and occasionally reject it as men have always rejected their gods but in the knowledge that despite our apostasy this deity our creature and our slave could still provide for us the anesthetic for the pain the spare heart the new lung the antibiotic the moving wheels and the moving pictures um which is just the sort of this deity our creature our slave um i don't know that is yeah. it's just a really because it uh, yeah it, i mean in western science i do think this is such a good description of how how western science is is kind of viewed and i can imagine mm. if in this sort of failure to explain why this event has happened and in order to fix it we i mean we were discussing if if um we were discussing how we would view 
like science to have evolved within the story anyway. I, I mean, I think we, the book does mention some sort of idea and experimentation in genetics, but um, I think you also mentioned, Claire, that you'd imagine um, there'd be more investigation into AI and yeah, machinery I think that, that would... But in a more technologically kind of advanced mm. ages, this had been written, you know, in, in 2023 instead of mm. 1993. Um, I think that, yeah, there would be a different attitude to kind of how you might plan yeah. for um, uh, for older age. I think P.G. James predicts very well kind of the idea of medicine developing to focus on geriatric medicine and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think that uh, it necessarily would be simply the case that we would rely on imported foreign workers and, mm. and things like that. I mean, after all, our government at the moment seems to completely fail to understand the importance of um, <laughs> immigrant workers oh, within the healthcare system. So, you know, why would it be? Why would it be any different? But mm. uh, I do think the idea of like, yeah, developing technology so that it it better assisted um people but i suppose in 1993 that was more the realm of science fiction whereas this is kind of quite situated in a very realistic um society for the time so i I can see that i think there is something very interesting though about this idea for us about kind of like when science fails us i know particularly in kind of post-covid world there's you know this this we're looking back now with the kind of um um all the, the the hearings as part of the COVID inquiry and everything mm-hmm. thinking about well how was science viewed or not viewed and and things like this, um, and one of the things that you and I were discussing was oh, um, kind of conspiracy theories. Yes. Oh yeah. To of course. So uh, for anybody who did not see this, you got all. <laughs> it turns out that. The majority of people think <laughs> that COVID was created in a lab in some sort of wow, crazy, crazy, crazy. Uh, situation. And I definitely think that if there was any kind of rebellion going on, it would be some sort of, you know, blame it on on China or something. Yeah, literally, you know, I was going to say, yeah, yeah, some um, sort of worldwide <laughs> disease to yeah. stop everyone else from yeah. I mean, I think we're also going to discuss a bit about sort of like Zan has a lot of in his ethos theory of eugenics and who yes. has the right to reproduce and who doesn't and part of the reason that um uh Luke who you know the priest the father of the the child was missed as someone who was fertile was because uh, I think he had like mild epileptic shocks that's right he? yeah um, we thought epileptic, he had epilepsy yeah. and uh Julian has um a disfigured hand i think yes uh, 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 from birth um um issue with having a sort of a clubbed hand um for me i think it's really interesting that the film focuses very much on ideas around uh britishness and the mm-hmm. deportation of immigrants is a highly oh, yes. um kind of um shows that sort of one of the things that an authoritarian government does is obviously to kind of close borders and to really treat immigrants completely inhumanely we're seeing see the bexhill refugee camp it's a uh you know a chaotic squalid um place where basically there's been a fighting and um uh and so on people don't seem to be being deported particularly they seem to be mainly just being put in a camp or in a cage but um that's the focus anyway it's all about kind of getting rid of of people who aren't uh sufficiently british and the 
problem for uh you know for key is the fact that she is what they call a, a fuji which is presumably from refugee or fugitive uh the idea that you know she's she's not she's not british uh she's yeah. a young um black african woman um yeah. and so that's you know that's the the fear there that you know there's never going to be tolerance of mm -hmm. a baby born from her as mm -hmm. um uh, uh, a Fuji and as somebody who doesn't know the father of her child. Yes. With the book, however, the issue is that Julian is a disabled and therefore yes. uh, doesn't count as suitable for propagating the future human race. Likewise, the father of the child, and of course, the father of the child is not her husband, which shouldn't, yes. you know, shouldn't matter really in this kind of slightly post-marriage kind of yeah Zan does I think say she's just a whore at she's the just end a whore, yeah. Yeah. yeah so um um you know this idea that 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 too I suppose kind of diminishes her her status and again this feeling mm -hmm. that the baby would be be taken away and if not subjected just to being kind of of great scientific interest um we should also say that just like the genders of the dead children are switched from a daughter in so in the in the book theo has killed his own daughter uh and in the film his son has died from flu in the baby that is born is the other way around as well because in the film key has a baby girl mm -hmm. but in the book it's a baby boy julian has a baby boy which of mm -hmm. course raises again this issue of kind of like fertile sperm and whether he will be the next father of uh you know whether they can basically repopulate the world from this one baby and i think um uh zan talks about oh you know well maybe we'll be able to start harvesting his sperm from the age of what 12. Mm -hmm. you know this idea that this one child becomes mm -hmm. a sperm back so yeah so there's the yeah. eugenics Thing that Zan seems to have based his his idea about who can repopulate on this yes. um, this very specific idea about uh, suitability, um, and then this idea that you know his view of a child is seen very much not in terms of kind of just the sort of miracle of 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 birth, but in sort of practical terms of what he could do with a baby. Mm -hmm. And again, I mean, I suppose the idea of a world where you know eugenics would play a part in repopulation fits quite well with a world yeah. um it seems that the elderly are being kind of ritually sacrificed so that nobody has to sort of look after them anymore yes. um, so maybe we should talk about the very end of the story in each case mm -hmm. because this is something that is really different in the film and the book i'd say the plots are both quite different i mean are we okay i think we were discussing can you really call the movie really an adaptation of the book just yeah. it, it's not that it even cuts out very much it, there's a lot of changes i think mm. people saying how like there's a lot of confusion as we were discussing it like as <laughs> like character names are recycled but they are yeah. completely re in reference yeah. to different people and who play different roles um I mean, not the, to say that the the movie isn't good. I think still, it's I still think it's very yeah. good exploration I would, I would agree. Mm. the world. But um, yeah, I mean, so in in the book, um, you know, Julian gives birth, and um, Theo confronts San, and they sort of have a bit of a 
you know, dual moment with some guns. Mm-hmm. I mean, not explicitly, but, you know, sort of Zan shoots and misses Theo, which is interesting because isn't Zan, wasn't Zan part of the army? Uh, yeah. And so I don't know what, how Theo shoots Zan straight through the heart. Crazy, crazy well, aim. There's this interesting thing, isn't there, that Theo sort of says he thought that he heard the baby cry and that Zan heard the baby cry and in that moment you know he mm. missed and uh, Theo hit because of, uh, the of course but then he sort of says it like it couldn't have happened and actually you know that was possibly just in his his head so we're sort of given this sort of confused image which is yeah. um but yeah anyways so so Zan dies and the rest of the council and the grenadiers emerge um and Theo basically you know symbolically takes um the, the coronet is the coronation ring it's the coronation yeah. ring yes he's the never been crowned ring. sovereign there is strictly still a king mm-hmm. um but uh the king has never officially been been crowned zan appointed the archbishop of canterbury interestingly a woman so that's also quite a sort mm. of you know uh, uh a radical thing for 1990 yes, i mean it would still be a radical thing now but it's yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. um so um yeah, you know, there's there's that, but of course it's all controlled. You know, all of these sort of institutions are controlled. Mm. But he started wearing yes you know, um, the wedding ring of of England, the, the the ring that we all saw put on Charles's finger at the coronation. Yeah, um, exactly. You know. um, and uh, yeah, and uh, basically Theo takes this symbolically and puts mm-hmm. her on his own finger, and basically claims sort of Zan's power for himself, which. I mean, what do you think of that as sort of these two cousins who one has killed another and basically claimed his like power again again it's not an like an elected leader yeah. it's still sort of part of a bureaucracy so yeah. uh, is Theo still just as bad as his own cousin um like how I mean, he I think in you know I don't know in the book it sort of says he he feels you know this is a necessary role he has to take temporarily in order to fix mm-hmm. the like ill yeah you know, I ill mean he, humanity I think and- the starting point is obviously that he needs to convince the immediate people around him yes that he is the person that they must answer to and that he is the protector of Julian specifically so yes. you know there's a, an immediate need for yes in this, in this sort of power vacuum for him to do this, to do this um, yeah. and it we you know we see that basically there's no one else in the council we're told except for one guy who is basically very near death um mm-hmm. no one else who could actually act as leader and one of the things that i think that zan says which you know is interesting is if anybody else wants to do this job why don't they come and tell me they want to do it mm is basically nobody wants to stand up and take these roles we're told they can't even get people for jury service because mm-hmm. nobody you know nobody's interested anymore yeah. uh you know the counselors that they've got are basically there just because they get money for doing it you know there's yep. no real you know everything is ratified by the top council and and uh, and zan anyway but what's interesting is that this this thing about where people feel that something terrible has happened mm-hmm. don't feel that anything that they can quite put their finger on is immediately wrong with society because largely for most people it's going their way the people yes. it's not going for are on the isle of man being mm-hmm. eaten or or eating other people 
the sojourners are foreigners who will never be allowed to become citizens mm -hmm. and everyone else you know apart from possibly the odd person who doesn't want to be dragged off to a quietus but no one's very interested like no one really watches this do you remember where in in the south world bit where the um the woman says oh no there wasn't a quietus here when oh, yeah. literally there for you know to attend it people mm -hmm. are just not really paying attention so yes. he wants to take responsibility like um yeah. sand did and there is this there is this question you know when when theo and zan are talking about like why he became warden of england you know yeah okay he liked the power and so on but i think he says something like you know i looked at what other people were doing and i knew that i could do it better mm -hmm. and eventually he's like no i got bored of it you know we're told a lot about the fact that oh no boring or whatever um but he's still doing it because there's no one else to do no it, one else to do it yeah. and it's hard in a way to feel that he is quite perhaps the the villain yeah that's true he's made out to be um because he's allowed to do what he's doing by the will of the people insofar as they're not trying to change it although how much of that is due to the sort of author authoritarian nature because even even um uh theo's ex-wife's new husband so mm -hmm. helen's helen's new husband there you know i think he sort of implied to you know when when uh helen questions him on what he thinks about it he almost sort of i don't know um pauses or you know you're uh, right i mean there is this you know they don't want to ask anyone else whether they got a pamphlet harboring seditious material yeah. yeah i mean there is definitely that you know that how much is there room for anyone theoretically yeah, anyone true. can telephone the warden but even when rolf does you know kind of switch sides he ends up being killed so yeah, yeah. okay i probably been too too generous <laughs> towards that <laughs> but i suppose there is this this thing isn't there that you know it's not enough to say that zan is um zan is wrong there is also a real reflection on society when it allows authoritarianism to to mm. rise up you know i don't think that we necessarily this is not the world of the film i suppose is what i'm saying where yes a, a rebel group okay they are themselves extremely flawed they want to use mm -hmm. the baby as a mascot they are what zan is really yes the the film. um theo i think we don't know for definite whether he will become a tyrant himself no he has Julian there, who I think is very much a good force for yes, him. Yes, you know, like rounding sort of Yeah, um, she tells him that ring is not for him and so on. Um, mm. But I think what we see is that sort of, you know, the temptation he feels. Um, but perhaps, you know, we know that he does not want to allow the things to happen to the baby that, that Zan wanted. Maybe that's hopeful. Um, but there is this thing, I think, about the idea that, you know, it, you can't just topple a dictator. You create a power vacuum, something will fill it. And so you need to make sure that you're controlling what fills it. Um, Theo is going to, to fill it here. Um, mm -hmm. you know, apathy of everybody else will probably allow that to happen, unless perhaps more babies are born. True. And then yeah. people will start thinking about what do we want our future to look like yes yeah i mean i tell you what did you think about the i don't know well is this thing is it the message the message of of the book and the 
Well, I mean, it's, I've, we're sort of discussing this before the episode because yeah, I always anticipate this question come towards the end. Um, it's it's hard. I mean, I I think there's a lot to say about how what humanity sort of um, values in this sort of apocalyptic world where you know there are no future generations, and I think there's especially right now there's this sort of huge. Uh, movement especially around like the climate um Mm -hmm. where you know sort of you know conserving what resources we have left for Mm -hmm. future generations to be able to live good lives um and just like you know a sustainable future for our children um whilst you know in this reality there is none of that but and since you know it's interesting i suppose you know as we uh with cop 28 just having finished and things like that and the sort of narrative around Mm. even though we have the children literally in front of us but uh you know even though we have the children there and we're thinking about you know what will it be like what would be like when my um uh seven-year-old niece and my (laughs) three-year-old what it's going to be like for them when when they grow up and yet there's still so much apathy there's still you know the struggle to get even the concession towards trying to reduce fossil fuels into the cop even though it seems like so blindingly obvious that it must be there so you i think you're right you know why would anybody care about anything very much if Mm. they have a future generation we're not doing it for our future generation i mean there's quite a lot of emphasis on on things like you know baptizing kittens and stuff. Like oh that. yeah, I don't think that people <laughs> necessarily or or dolls. Um, quite really creepy in the in the book, but, um, yeah. um, but uh, you know I don't think that like it, people are not acting for the planet for their children. They're not going to act for it for the wider kind of species yeah. of the, uh, the world. Um, frankly, if the human race were to die out, then um, it would probably solve a lot of problems. A bit better off, to be honest. Well, I guess it, it is that a sort of again making reference to the Last of Us is like how mm. with the decrease in human population and more of a concentrated, um, you know, sort of um, you know, living situations, these sort of colonies of people, nature does take over. And I think there's a a bit in the book about how you know all of these roads that will eventually sort of become. Un, you know unregulated yeah. not unregulated but sort of unmaintained yeah. yeah that's the one um you know and how again there'll be that sort of thing of nature will take over when there is no more sort of humanity yeah. left to yeah hold it back but it's would you say there's a lot of hope in in the book is no and um, not really i suppose you know in the the film tries to sort of create a potential hope we're sort of told oh there is a there is this this human project you know it does exist it is real there is a ship to take them there you know in the azores i think we're told you know it's all given over to to try and trying to solve the problem fix the planet and so on um but it's still a bit unclear what that even means but in the book particularly i don't think that we're left you know there is a birth of a child that has sort of promise to it, but you're almost like 25 years of, of you know, if it's the only baby, and this is something that yeah. you know, if it's the only baby, it's going to live on its own in the world for yeah. 25 years after everyone else has yeah. died. Now, I suppose we're told that that's, you know, unlikely that this is a miracle one-off. Um, one-off child, yeah. Uh, but um, even so, you know, there's, there's, 
I don't think that we necessarily feel that society is redeemed. One of the things that I think really does make us sort of, you know, I suppose transfer from this hypothetical to a sort of realistic political situation is definitely this idea that just because you can't see something going on in society, just because it's not happening to you, yes, just because, you know, there's no future generation does not mean that it, morality, it is, yeah. I, I, I suppose if people say morality, you know, doesn't exist in a, in a vacuum. But while there is any sort of community left, mm. those values have to to remain. Not commodifying yeah. a baby, not sending people off to a penal colony, not reducing immigrant mm. workers to to slavery. Yeah, and I would guess it's all about sort of maintaining some form of humanity despite mm. circumstances that may be dire. Um, yeah, yeah doing which you know I think we explore quite a lot when we have mm. these discussions like the last of us for yes. example you know where does where does that uh to remain but um yeah anyway well done PT James on oh, a very good <laughs> we liked that thanking you um and uh would definitely recommend that people read it if they yeah it is because the film is not... a great film we're not yeah doing... the film's really good also but the book is just quite it's quite enjoyable. It's, there's a lot of good sort of ideas explored in it. So definitely recommend. Easy read, quite short as well. So so what else do we need to say today? We need to say that this episode is coming out on the 17th, but mm-hmm. our next episode will be three weeks because yes. of Christmas. Yeah. So happy holiday you. season to everybody who is Indeed. celebrating. Happy holidays, uh, happy new year. All of that. That's right. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're missing us over that three-week period, then please do follow us on Instagram at Dystopian Fiction Current Affairs. And if you would like to email us, you can email us at dystopianfictioncurrentaffairs at gmail.com. And we would love to hear from you, your ideas, recommendations, thoughts, where we got it wrong. Yes. Any requests for future episodes? Yes, absolutely. Things that you would like us to cover. Um We've got a few things lined up and you can see the full schedule um, on our Podbean website or on the podcast page of beingsociety.com. Yes. Is there anything else, Masha? Mm, not that I know of. I think that's it. That's Excellent it. stuff. Good. Well, thank you for listening, everybody. And we will see you in January. Thank you.